0: After literally tearing the Oasis apart in the last episode, Hass finally comes clean with the music that he listens to, and if you're old enough, you'll know just how embarrassing that is for him. We take a little bit of a look at the way that we've used mental health symptoms within people before diving in to look at the FA chairman who recently stepped down after dinosauric comments that he made in government. We asked the question, is football racist? Is football racist at the top? Is football racist at the bottom? And this puts us into probably one of the most deepest and raw conversations we've had about race yet. And that's saying something. As ever, if you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us us a review on the platform that you listen to us on and come and join us at Instagram at (laughs) 115MilesPod. Day. This is 115 Miles with Josh Connolly and Hassan Kyle Living exactly 115 miles apart, our lives could not have been more different growing up, yet we find ourselves today as really good friends with many similar outlooks and perspectives. Join us on our podcast as we take a topical dive into life, work, culture and everything in between. Listen mate, the way I'm going to start today, I, I've had a lot of feedback about uh, you ripping a uh, uh, some English heritage to shreds last week with Oasis. I don't think the listeners know <laughs> what your music taste is, right? So tell me, if you had to give me your top one, two, three or something, best music, tell me what you actually listen to. Because um, to pull, pull a national heritage in Oasis apart in the way that you did, I think you need to uh, recapture some of our friends that listen to this. Uh, um. Do you mean genres? No, I want you to give me... You can Bands? give me the best... Be specific. Yeah, best, like what, best band musicians. Request? i got a feeling that it's not going to be a band. So just your best musician, your best group, DJ, MC. You can't say Joshy C. You've got to, it's got to be... Everyone should else. go and
1: find out Joshy C. Go, and, go for a, a, a dig around the internet, see if they can find a video of him. Circa you've 1995. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, you put me on the spot. Uh, I would say I'm just going to reel off some names: Prince, Bowie, Tribe Called Quest, The Roots, uh,
0: Eminem. Oh, shut up! I don't believe you, mate. I you're trying to you're trying to look like you've got. You're trying to look like what? artistic. Are you Are you test. trying
1: to ask me what my guilty pleasure is? Is that basically what you're asking
0: me? no it wasn't but go on then give us cuz there's obviously something there so give us that
1: <laughs> um uh uh, uh do a leaper is my guilty pleasure who yeah get with the times mate it's just like the number one female right. singing artist at the moment
0: do the, do the listeners know that you're a dj i'm retired i'm not a
1: dj when did you retire mate uh, circa 1995, when Josh C hit the scene. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Listen, mate, I was I was emceeing in the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 1995. Yeah. Bearing in, I was eight in 95. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I don't think your chat improved much uh, from eight to 18, from what <laughs> I've heard.
0: <laughs> we nearly made it, mate. UK Method. Yeah, really. Yeah, we had an EP.
1: Sure, you had. Lots of E's and lots of P's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had an EP. Well done. What happened? Thanks, mate. Pardon? Simon Cowell, turned you down. What
0: happened? Um, it just fizzled out. I think we'd <laughs> we used to do garage and then grime come in and we wasn't really grime. We yeah. were like uh, old school bouncy garage. Just as it was dying out. You, know, you got nothing to say to that?
1: I loved old school bouncy garage. I'm just, I'm just disappointed that I didn't get to sample the delights of uh, of your almost made it uh, record at the time.
0: <laughs> Has it feels strange that we're recording uh, less than a week? I think it's less than a week since we last recorded, right? Yeah. And when when we started this podcast, we were doing like every week, yeah. and it was like we, there was so much. But now that it's only been a week, it feels like. But having, having said that, a lot's happened. So there's a couple of things I want to talk about. Let me ask you, firstly, how has your week been in the last week? I am sensing some stress in your overall energy that I'm feeling over Zoom.
1: Well, the only, the only reason that I'm you're sensing a bit of stress in my energy uh, is just because my laptop uh, froze and I had to uh, restart it. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm good. Uh, there is... A lot going on uh at work and uh just trying to figure lots of stuff out uh, in terms of uh like new things that we're doing and uh, so it's just quite busy but I'm enjoying it you know i'm I'm concerned about you know what's about to you know what's to ha- about to happen with lockdown stuff as we've talked about like you know do we get to come out of lockdown or do we double down on it through Christmas? what do you
0: think will happen?
1: Uh, I think we will come out of it. I think we'll come out of it for Christmas. I do. Yeah. But then I think we'll probably go back into it in January. But they reckon they could be rolling out the vaccine, don't they? So, And then there was like talk of another one. So it was it was like the big old vaccine, the world savior, and then there's a new one that came out yesterday. Yeah,
0: but the new one won't be ready till spring or something. Or, uh, yeah,
1: I don't think we have yeah. get it till spring, yeah.
0: But Trump's taking... Uh... My mate Trump's taking, um, he's taken the kudos for, for, for one of a many. Yeah, well, not
1: surprising. He, like, you know, if if I was in his position, I'd try and do anything I could to cling on uh, to to power and to fame, like he's doing.
0: <laughs> Especially with your great uncle coming in now. Great uh, Uncle Joe. Trump's refusing, isn't he? He's sort of refusing to concede. Although he's come out, he I think he tweeted in the last couple of days to sort of say that... Uh, he realises now that he didn't win the election, but that the, the reason he didn't win is because it was rigged.
1: I've been saying that the whole time. I think he doesn't know what he's doing and he starts tweeting and then he realises what he's done and he went, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm not conceding, I'm, you know. Uh, um, and then he'll backtrack. And then I think, look, nothing's a surprise about him. The the ones that I think you got to be really mistrustful of and have a lot of uh, uh, kind of issue with are the Republican party you know like the ones that are still backing all this crap about you know uh votes rigging and stuff like that just you you gotta accept it like he's won the popular vote by a significant margin he's won the electoral college votes there's homeland security have said it's the safest and most secure election in history uh, uh, you know uh so
0: you' gotta move on who's who's a worse loser Donald Trump or um wilder Deontay Wilder. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen Deontay Wilder, what he said when he's got beat? No, 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 no. So Deontay Wilder, who got beat by Tyson Fury in that last fight, released a video recently saying that his corner man, you know, the one who chucked in the towel for him? Yeah. He's saying that um, he potentially could have had his water spiked because his muscles felt way over relaxed. (laughs) and that that the uh i think his name's Breezelman uh has something to do with his water so he's essentially his cornerman who basically saved his life by chucking in the towel he said that he might have spiked his water with a muscle relaxant he said that tyson fury uh could potentially have had horseshoes in the end of the gloves that he was trying to pull his gloves down so that he could hit him with his with his fists uh and that he cut his eye with his the uh string of his gloves in his ear oh, you've never seen anything like it mate Sore losers. He's nearly as bad as Trump.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, someone who's lost a boxing match versus someone who's basically clinging on to power for in the world's one of the world's most, you know, (laughs) domineering superpowers. It's got to be Deontay Wilder, really, hasn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It has. (laughs) I agree. He's the worst.
1: He's, He's public enemy number one.
0: Yeah. Well, he is, mate, because he's gone against the Gypsy King, who is now a national hero. Because he's overcome his mental health problems. Everybody hated him and was disgusted by him when he was in his mental health problems. Right. But now he's overcome them, yeah. we accept him a lot yeah. more. Don't like when he sings that? in
1: the ring, though. He he really he dragged it out, didn't he?
0: <laughs> there is something to be said there, though, by the way, because when he was in his mental health problems, right, when he was, like, struggling a lot with his mental health, he 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 looked like what a lot of, particularly men, look like when they're struggling with their mental health, which is men when they're struggling don't tend or sometimes anyway at least i can't give you date on it but sometimes at least they, they don't look like meek and mild and can't get out of bed they're angry they say horrible things they uh you know they do things that really are, are like quite self-sabotaging and stuff like that and when tyson fury was doing that don't get me wrong you can't um you know, you can't uh, uh, help but not go against the things that he was saying, right? He should have been reprimanded for the things that he said. But it's just interesting that when he was saying them, people were like uh, disgusted by him. He shouldn't be on TV. He should never have been nominated for the sports personality of the year that year when he beat Klitschko and all that kind of stuff. But now that he's overcome all of that, it's like, yay, we love the story that he was horrible and now he's not. Mm. I just think it's interesting. And if we want to come at overcome stigma... Then actually, you need we need to get better at trying to help him, like noticing that when it was clear to me when Fury was behaving like he was, there's a problem here. He's, he's struggling, but all we wanted to do is beat him down further, rather than saying, you know what, this behaviour is wrong and we can't, you know, condone it. But but let's this guy clearly needs some help.
1: Do you think it was clear to you because it's you because you know because you know what to look for? You see the telltale signs. Most of people's. Uh, perspectives are built through the media so if the media portrays an individual in a particular way uh, they're gonna you know as you as as we've seen in the last year or so you know people believe what they read what they see um, and they sort of head towards uh, a particular slant of kind of reporting left or right or whatever Um, And then everyone loves a rags to riches story. Everyone loves the kind of, uh, you know, fallen from the, you know, you know, fallen down, got up, you know, rebuilt themselves. And the media will celebrate the people that have spent years treating as a punch bag. She's the pun, you know, so um, because it sells, it sells, it sells for them. It sells them more, you know, quote unquote newspapers. So it's the media, not it's not
0: people. It's the media, you, you know. Yeah yeah definitely and then people jump on it but to, you know your original question there as well do you think i realize that because it's because it's me and i've been through similar things uh, yes i do but but that's what i guess that's why i do the work that i do because i want to raise awareness that you know at the moment when people talk about mental health in terms of people that struggle it's from it it can become very much from this i'm okay and in a good place and look at me helping all the people that struggle do you know what I mean out there? When actually it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. And the same people that think they're helping would stigmatize somebody that's acting in the way that uh, uh, Tyson Fury was. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with what I was going to bring up that's happened in the last week. Hass, let me ask you, is, is football racist?
1: Uh, is a football
0: racist? A football isn't racist. Is, let me, let me, let me hone this in then. Actually, let me ask you, let me start with a question. Let's start in the area of fans, because I'm obviously going to come on to talk about the FA chairman here in a minute.
1: Yeah.
0: As, uh, I'll ask you this straight, right? Let's, let's try and find out if football is racist in terms of fans, what, what it is, right? As a, as a brown man that goes to football.
1: Yeah.
0: When you're in a stadium, a football stadium. Yeah. Right, and you go. I suppose the place you go the most is Liverpool. Yep. Do you do you have any feeling? We talked ages ago, right, about how when you walk into a pub, sometimes you can, yeah, you can feel a little bit like you know that I'm the only brown person in here, or or whatever it was. Is there anything like that that comes up for you when you go into a football stadium?
1: Uh, when I go into Anfield, I don't feel it right uh because right. i'm in the colors
0: everyone's got
1: uh what's that
0: back your boys yeah don't call your boys y- yeah, out.
1: yeah no 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 it's 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 um i think it's it's a weird thing cuz you sort of you, you get yeah you know, enveloped in in the family colors right and so um i haven't heard anything but then i've seen videos of stuff at anfield where it's like like Horrible racist abuse, you know, for, for like, mm. you know, where they're shouting at other fans. I've seen, I've like seen video footage of it. So I know it's there. I've just never experienced it since I've been going there. Um, but then I
0: never th- let me just before you go on, never, never at Anfield. I'm not, um, I'm not trying to trick you or, 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 or catch you out here, but you've never been, when you've gone to Anfield ever since, never at Anfield. How long have you been going to Anfield?
1: I don't know, probably. 10, 15 years. I don't go very often, you know, I can't get up there all the time. But but, um, but
0: you've never, you've never gone there and felt or experienced any kind of... In Liverpool, I have, not at Anfield.
1: So when we were walking from the state, this was years ago, it's probably my first trip there. I was walking with, um, with my best mate who's black. And, uh, we were walking up from centre of town into, into the stadium and, uh, Some guy was, it was, it was almost comedic in a way. He was like, he didn't even stop. He was just driving around the corner and he went like, F off, go home, go back to your country or whatever. Like something stupid like that. But just shouted it out the car. Just shouted it out the car. Yeah. And then. Wow. But in the stadium, nothing, never, nothing. Okay. Never.
0: Have you, have you, have you ever been to any England games?
1: No, no. And uh, there's a reason I, I would, I wouldn't want to go to an England game was because I've always kind of you, you I've built up a perception of racist hooligans that go to football England football games and I know that there's probably quite a minority but then there was when I was growing up and when I was younger and when I was a teenager there was a lot of it that you used to see like you know they obviously used to, you know used to go over to tournaments and stuff like that and then you see all the stuff when they're playing um when they're doing the IRA songs and all that sort of stuff. And it just, it just, when I was growing up, that was definitely an image that was conjured in my head. Um, so you don't go to
0: England games because you're worried about racism.
1: I don't go to England games because I'm not that interested in England, uh, watching them to play football anymore, to be honest, because it's boring. Okay, yeah. No, but, there's a lot also, in that, there's a lot
0: in that, but, but there's, but you've avoided going to, a, uh, it has, racers played a part in that.
1: I'd say so. Yeah. I'd say so. Fuck man. Yeah. That's,
0: that's like, that's a big thing yeah.
1: that you're saying. Yeah.
0: That's a big thing yeah. to say. Because the
1: funny thing is I watched I support them right from afar like when at tournaments and things like that I you know I support them obviously and they they're my home team but definitely this there's, there's, there's just something growing up that you used to see and you just you, you used to only really see the nationalist side of it as a as a person of color i mean and i'm not speaking for everyone i don't know if everyone feels that way but i know i felt like oh i'm definitely that's not a place i want to go um and it's not the you know i've, I've gone to watch rugby and uh cricket you're right england right. and i've not felt the same thing i've had the felt the same apprehension so i definitely think media has probably played a part because i would still also probably recognize that even though at times it looked like it was quite a lot of people in the crowd, it's still quite a minority in the scheme of everyone that's going to be going to Wembley. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: yeah. Wembley's quite so when you go to an England friendly, I've been to quite a few. Yeah, um, it's quite a family atmosphere yeah. to the point of when I used to go when I was younger and a bit louty. Yeah, you didn't really want to go to the friendlies because it was like yeah, so family orientated. Yeah, and I wanted you know when I was young and larry, I wanted to get drunk and be Larry, and it didn't really fit in so uh, friendlies is probably a little bit different i certainly 15 years ago going away to england i know there were big groups of people that were going that were uh hoolies hooligans going looking particularly away right away from home uh traveling with england Mm. although i never did Mm. it uh but what i have done in i went to france in uh, whenever it was the last yet. time the Euros whatever. No, no.
1: Huh? No, what uh 2000 Euros Recently. Ah, okay, okay. So yeah. Leah was
0: pregnant, right. so it would have been four years ago. Oh, okay, okay. Or just yeah. over four years right. ago, because Leah was pregnant. Yeah. So Leah was eight months pregnant. It's a slightly different conversation, but we So do you remember it was when when the Russians it was all in the news that the Russians were fighting and they were like, don't go over there. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a war zone. Yeah. They're not serving alcohol. The fans are terrible. Now, this is slightly different to race, right? But uh Leah was, uh, it was in June and Maya was born in July. So Leah was heavily pregnant, eight months pregnant. And everyone was saying to me, you can't take your eight months pregnant wife. Have you seen the news? Mm-hmm. Anyway, we went and I'll tell you what I will say about this. And this is different to race. So it doesn't mean that just because they were like this, they'd have been different for race. But the England fans were brilliant with Leah when she was pregnant. We were in the fan zone for the England-Wales game in Lons, right? And... Literally, there was like a two yard ring around Leah because she was heavily pregnant and drunk people would stumble and fall into that gap. And there were just random people that were like, pregnant lady, like step back, like step. And they, like Leah was proper looked after by all the, the England fans were brilliant. They were brilliant, right? We got to the front of the, the queues for all the bars because Leah was pregnant and all stuff like that, right? So, uh, the, the England fans in that case, were brilliant it was nothing like we were shown on the news there was no there was tr- trouble but you didn't have to you you know you, you didn't have to get caught up in it if you didn't want to and all that sort of stuff not that that makes the trouble okay so definitely the way that they were portrayed then was different to what to what they actually are but that's you know i uh, that hurts a little bit to know that that you've avoided going to england because of uh because of race maybe we should go one day mate when the fans were allowed back,
1: look. I'm not. Look, I'm old. I'm old enough now to know that that was, uh, you know, that was just a part of the, you know, a part of kind of the crowd. It's not. It's not the whole crowd, and I wouldn't. It, I wouldn't be afraid to go. But when when you're sort of, you know, 15 16 up to like, you know, in that sort of teenage years, and you just sort of, you just sort of, you get, a, you catch a vibe. It's like when you. You know when you walk into a, an area and you know there's a odd vibe, there's a bad vibe, and you know it's kind of dangerous. So you sort of your your senses are heightened, right? And you just catch a vibe like that as a as a person of color when you're walking into something, right? And yeah, and I, I must... imagine you know that, that there are people would say the same thing about the other way. If you walk in, if you if, if you're not from Tottenham and you walk into Tottenham, and you 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 just you're on edge, right? Because you don't you know, and I I can understand that. But you know, growing up, these are just things that uh, we just had to face. You know, and and I'm surprised that you're surprised in a way. Like I don't mean to be uh, like pulling you up on it, but it's like wh-
0: I'm, what- I'm 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 not I'm not surprised. I'm not I'm not surprised when I lay it all out. I think you know when you just say that, I think of course you would when you're 15, 16. Um, but the fact that you've you know, you've never been to an England game, and it's probably prevented you from doing so. Um, I'm I'm not surprised when I lay it all out, but actually, when you said it, I was like, "Fuck, that's bad, that's bad," you know. And it's it's interesting,
1: isn't it, that you know, like in in many respects, going to say Anfield, or I've been to like you know, I've been to Stamford Bridge, where I went to. Um, an away game, or I've been to, you know, I've been to Arsenal, I've been to I've, lots of football stadiums. You didn't feel anything at Stamford Bridge? Stamford Bridge felt a bit awkward, actually, I have to say, um, not only because it was Stamford Bridge, so I sort of definitely had a sense of, uh, oh, I don't know about this ground, but actually I've, I thought it was a brilliant, I thought it was a brilliant atmosphere. But we are also, we some, some, um, we'd got tickets to uh, Man City uh, at, at uh, Chelsea. So we were in the way end as well, so it was even more intense because obviously we're getting a lot of hate, but it was fine. It was that was that was that was intense, but I didn't pick out anything that was directly specifically directed to me. And we were in a fairly yeah. big group, um, but uh, yeah, but even even sort of going to different clubs around the country, I, I still there's something about England that was just for me that was like it just felt a little bit like I didn't want to go there. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it?
0: Because I. Uh, yeah. And I think, like, I'll tell you, as somebody who plays football at amateur level, there's, there, I can tell you, there is still an undercurrent of racism in football that's almost accepted that wouldn't be accepted anywhere else. Yeah. Just a slight undercurrent. Yeah. yeah. When, when you play, uh, and I'll tell you that at amateur level, and it sickens me to say it, but, but some of the things that might be said if you had a, a player of color when you was playing, you you you'll hear things said on a football pitch that um what discreetly or like pretty blatant um pr- pretty blatant yeah at the player
1: Not, or just it from the from the sidelines or is it the players on the team
0: let me give you let me give you an example and I'm, my skin's crawling at the moment when I'm saying this because I know I'm involved in that I play in that ge- I play in these games and uh I, you know, I, I've called it out a few times, but you get a lot of stick when you do. Um, I've called it more recently. I've certainly called it out. So, um a player might be playing of color and he's more likely to, it, that you're more likely to hear something like he stinks hmm. than, than, than outright racism. I haven't heard outright racism on a football pitch for a long time, but I have heard things like he stinks. Now, the person that said it would say, well, it's not, I've not said that because he's a person of color. I'm just saying he stinks. Mm. Right. So stuff like that. Mm. Um, and I have probably heard obscenities that have had the word black in front of them when I'm playing. Right. Yeah. 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 So like he's a prick, but he they'll say yeah. he's, a, he's a black yeah. prick or something like that. Yeah. So at amateur level, and, and I don't want to say there's an acceptance because that's wrong. There's not, there's, there's not an ex, maybe it may no maybe it is maybe it is it just seems to sort of you know it gets left on the pitch and that's it when you play football as opposed to where in a more i don't know in a work setting it would arguably be be, be less acceptable I
1: Wonder if that's a little bit of toxic
0: masculinity as well at play 100 well, 100 it's like it, it is that kind of toxic masculinity um like that kind of boys, lads with blokes and all that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, it's not nice, mate. So uh, I I do think there's a level of that that travels through football, which brings us on to Greg Clark, the the English FA football chief, who's had to step down. I'm assuming you saw what he said. Yeah, I did, yeah. Uh, I'm going to read it for in case anybody hasn't. This is the chairman of the FA. This is the guy at the top right yeah this is the guy at the top yeah so we've talked a lot about the taking the knee and whether that's just become ridiculous and all that kind of stuff yeah uh so he was speaking at a uk parliamentary committee uh let me find it because he used he he talked about colored players i just want to i've got the sentence here if i look at what happens to high profile female footballers high-profile, coloured footballers and the abuse they take on social media. Social media is a free-for-all. What do you, what do you think about that, what you said?
1: Um, I mean, I, I, I just... I don't think it's acceptable to be in a position of authority. I mean, I don't think it's acceptable anyway to be using terms like that. But in your, if you're in a position of authority at the highest level of football in this country... It's, it's inexcusable and and you know there's a story once I saw in a movie once where the, 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 a guy was talking about um uh this this lady that used to work for him and he was very he was very good to this lady he had a shop and then one day he came in and he saw that she was stealing and she was very apologetic she'd, she'd worked with him for almost you know 30 years she was very apologetic and she said I'll never do it again and you know what he did he fired her. And do you know why he fired her? Because it wasn't the first time she did it. It's because it was the first time she got caught doing it.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So it it's not the first, you know, if it was the first time he ever said it, fair enough. You know what? You know, mere culpa, I'm really sorry. But it's the first time he got caught saying it. And the fact that you can just sort of say it like that with such archaic views. And then there was another thing that he said that was, I think, not, not worse, but as bad. Which which was just stereotyping the, you know, um, uh, kind of uh, nationalities or or, or people from...
0: If you you go to the IT department at the FA, there's a lot more South Asians than there are Afro-Caribbeans. He continued, they have different career interests. So what we have to do is treat each individual on their merits, but make sure we are uh, inclusive and our programs which don't cross the line into possible discrimination. Are you just... what a dinosaur... You know, like... What What would you say... Uh, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, by the way. This is just... To, I'm trying to get deep into the conversation. Uh, what would you say to the fact that he's not trying to be offensive? Um, what would I- He apologized and he said that he's worked in the USA or something like that. But um, he said, I'm a product of overseas. I worked in the USA for many years where I was required to use the term people of color. Sometimes because that was the product of their diversity legislation. So, so that's, that was his reasoning for it. Now, I'm asking you for, I'm going to give you my opinion in a minute, but what, what would you say to somebody that might say, well, look, he didn't mean to be offensive. He just used the wrong terminology and that's not his fault. Uh, you know, I can understand the confusion around people of color
1: and colored like a long time ago, maybe, but like, you know, it, it, it has been, um, it has been, rightly uh, beaten out of society as a term particularly in this country Mm -hmm. secondly it's a c it's a ceo so you know when when you're a ceo there comes accountability and if you can't deliver you gotta go i don't care if you meant to be offensive or not you were offensive and if he's had diversity training he just he just obviously didn't care for it enough to make it you know change his opinions yeah the thing that The thing that I really don't like is this inherent Wired-in perspectives. If he thinks that basically South Asian people are bookish IT types, can't do like physical stuff and then say black people are more physical and they have different career aspects, i.e. they're just going to use their brawn and physicality, that Mm. is a dark ages point of view and he had to go. 100%.
0: Can I just add the last thing that he said? Yeah. What I would want to do is to know that anybody who runs out on the pitch and says on Monday, I'm gay and I'm proud of it and I'm happy and this is a lifestyle choice that I have made and my life is a better place because I have disclosed it. He said, if they have gone through that chain of events, that is great. So he said that being gay is a is a, is a lifestyle choice. I mean, I, I think it's... Uh, uh, he was in UK Parliament when he said this, right? The the, the fact that um, this has been a slip, a slight of tongue almost, doesn't make it worse. If he was outright being racially abusive, I mean, it would, be, it would be arguably worse, but it's not about whether it was worse or whatever. But that's the top of the FA. The dude who's running everything, all the kick it out campaigns and all that has to go through him right, and he has not got a a clue about even the slightest bit of education. this isn't you this isn't a bloke working in an office who's just landed a job and could do with a bit of having his eyes opened and, and training. this is the the chairman of the FA, right and if he's doing that in Parliament, what is he doing in the boardroom? and how often is he saying things and getting away with them and 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 there's no way. That 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 somebody that can be that kind of dinosauric, which is a new word that I've made up. Um, if there's some, if he can be like that as the chairman, then how the hell, how the hell can we trust him to push um, the needed change that's needed in football? And you know, some of the stuff that I've described today at grassroots level, which by the way is going through my head like, oh my god, I can't believe you said that. Right, I can't believe you Why? you put Why? It on the podcast. What what what's the reason for that? I don't know. Let me let me think about it. Uh I th- I think I think so when you play football, right? When you when you when you play football and you're part of the football community, I think you become a part of it and i i i think there's a part of me that feels like i'm shopping in uh, uh friends shopping like i you know like it should be left on the pitch which in and of itself is a problem right i recognize as i'm saying it, it's a problem i'm just trying to literally give you the truth as it comes out of my head without um without self policing it so, so go on
1: yeah no so look i think um what you're pointing to is just another is another version of what we've talked about in, in the past, which is, um, retreating to that sort of safe space, right? So the thing is, you know, um, you recognize it's wrong, but it's also part of the it's it's kind of part of the uh, environment of like playing football. You enjoy playing football. And so, you know, the 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 thing about um, the thing about being sort of anti-racist versus not racist is actually you have to stand out against it. But standing out against it means confronting lots of things, which might mean that you end up getting isolated in. And and it may be even a difficult situation for you if you're taking on this kind of whole thing. So that's that's your dilemma, and it's a di- it's not an easy answer. It's you know you, you, mm. you, you enjoy playing football, you enjoy the sport, you enjoy the kind of the the camaraderie of the teams and stuff like that. And so um, uh, it's a, and it's a big thing for one person to take on. So that's it's, it's all understandable. But I think at the at the deepest root level and this is what we're all faced with so i don't think it's just fair just to point it at you because you've brought it up but we're all faced with this dilemma of being not racist because that's comfortable versus anti-racist yeah. which is uncomfortable yeah. and it's really and uncomfortable think, yeah to, to to put yourself out there you know
0: really uncomfortable and do you think what you've described there is privilege yeah that white privilege that people talk about so My ability, my ability say we could have had this conversation and I could have gone, is football racist? And I could have gone, yeah, just kept it, put it on you. Has to you. uh, Do you know? Do you? uh, Oh, it's horrible. You don't get to go to England games. Do all that. I could have done that and then gone, okay, let's talk about him, about this Greg dude who's clearly racist, right? In my opinion. Uh, I could have done that and my white privilege could have allowed me to not go there and talk about the football that I'm involved in and get this kind of um, really uncomfortable feeling that I've got. Yeah. And then I guess the uncomfortable feeling is, is because I'm uh, stepping out of that privilege a little bit. And there's part of me that wants to go, let's just go back into that privilege of not having to address that. Do you know what I mean? Not getting in, not that, not breaking that camaraderie, not being the guy who, who does all of that. Yeah. I can, as a white person, I can do that and just stay in that privilege but if you're on the receiving end of it, you don't get to because you're on the receiving end of it. Have I made sense in what? Yeah, I and
1: I, and I think that's the, the 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 thing around privilege is you can you can feel its sting in the moment for the other person or what you're hearing, and then you move on and you go home and you know. Whereas that's what you know. That's kind of what people have to live with. If you're if you're a black person or a person of color. I've never really played you know football at uh, amateur. Uh, level or anything you know beyond school so uh I can't imagine what it what that sort of abuse can be like but you know I'm sorry I can imagine but I haven't experienced it um mm. and I think the hardest thing is that it just becomes like it's just yeah it, like it is just what it is you know and people just you know it, it it's just almost accepted and I think that it has to change but it's 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 too much for one person to do but I think n- now that you've surfaced insight, it's you know, what will I do differently, if anything? Mm. You know, and and that's not an that's not an immediate solve. You're not going to suddenly go on Sunday and just kind of start pulling everyone up. But I think you'll probably be more aware of it. You'll probably find you know, because I know you always do this. You'll probably find ways to like bring it bring it out here and having a conversation here, and then this will probably yeah. spark us to do some other things, right? And you're you're you know you're connected into. Uh, into people that can probably have a conversation about it and, and do something about it. But I definitely think, you know, just to kind of pull it back up to um, what we were just talking about a moment ago, you you can't necessarily do this kind of change from, from the ground up. It needs to be root and branch, and it needs to be top-down and ground-up. You know, it can't just be mm. top-down, it has to be both. Um, but you can't just change it from the fields... of a a Sunday league uh, team you know what I mean like it's got to be done and if the chairman right is saying stuff like this in public as you said what's being said behind closed doors but even it seems it sounds it seems to me that he's the kind of person that pushes this trope of you know black players are great uh, black people are great players but don't make great managers Mm. Because there's there's, there's this whole stupid trope of like not necessarily having, you know, strategic brains. And but that's why, you know, and I've heard it before. So it's not, you know, I imagine he's, you know, saying stuff like that, saying that different career paths and trajectories. I can just definitely believe he
0: had those views. Well, one of the things he said, uh, soon after the meeting, Clark had been FA chairman since 2016 when earlier in the meeting he was asked what the FA was doing to increase representation and diversity in grassroots football, Clark said that the FA's ethnicity pay gap was nearly non-existent and that the organization's gender pay gap had been fundamentally reduced, but added that the BM, uh, the BAME community was not amorphous mass, not an amorphous mass. So. He does have them, you know, he doesn't really think there's any sort of pay gap or anything like that. He thinks that the FA is quite well represented. I'd imagine somewhere in him, he, he would probably be like, look, there's way more white people at the top of the FA. A, a lot of black people have come out and said this, black footballers. Uh, Sterling is is one of them, I know, prominent figure who's come out and said, when I look at the, the top of the FA, I don't see many people that look like me, is what he said. Yeah. Um So, yeah, look, when you, you know, I've brought up the grassroots level and how kind of infested it is. And, and by the way, I do want to caveat that by saying I, I do I have called things out a few times. I've called things out, not during a game or necessarily on a football pitch, but jokes that have racist connotations to them. I've called them out. And I can tell you that the general narrative is that everyone's like fair play for calling it out, but you don't get much backing for calling it out, if you know what I mean. No. You are out on your own when you do yeah. it. That's not, I'm not saying that in any way to like, be like, look at me and what I'm doing in the symphony. Yeah. I'm just, I'm saying it more to show you that there is, it is, it is largely supported. Um, but again, that only happens under surface level. But clearly, when you look at the top of the FA, um, there's huge problems here, huge problems. And, you know, taking the um, I before kickoff is I not mean, cutting it. I,
1: I, I, I think, um, the, the issue is, is it's deep it's unfortunately you know it's kind of touching on what we were talking about last week it's deeper than football football is just one of the you know one of the structures i don't so is football racist no i don't think so right to answer your Mm. question i think society is racist and uh football is just an exemplar of it uh i saw yesterday uh, a friend of mine um posted uh, on her instagram stories or uh, uh the vitriol that Sainsbury's is getting for featuring a black family in their christmas ad have you seen any of this
0: i've i've seen some of the stuff on twitter yeah so a lot of people are boy there, there was boycott Sainsbury's or something on on twitter that was yeah based around that yeah, yeah.
1: like you know there's this term of white fragility uh you know um around that the psyche of you know that you can't handle like a black family you know as it doesn't represent britishness it really came true and i just think you know th- the fact that people are publicly and tagging sainsburys and uh, because of a of an ad um just shows how deep rooted it is and it's not to say mm. it's mass perspective but it, there is a deep rooted sense of um of uh, kind of endemic racism that just that is just life so you know i don't even i don't think i've ever explicitly talked about with a, with lots of people about my th- my views on going to an england game it's just inherently wired in and i I'm, I, I, mm. I i suspect i'm not the only person that believes that well i no. i I've, i um i don't know if you saw this but um uh steve mcqueen the uh the, the oscar winning you know director um who did uh, 12 Years of Slave and lots of other brilliant movies. He's doing uh, a series of short films for the BBC. And there was, the first one was on Sunday and it called, um, it's called, I think the series is called Small Lux, And uh, the first one was Mangrove about this uh, restaurant in uh, in Notting Hill in the sort of late 60s, early 70s. Um, mm. And it's absolutely fascinating, uh, you know, and, um, and I really recommend you watch it and listeners watch it. Um, I think... I, I really didn't understand how uh, deeply rooted the racism was in terms of the establishment and black people, people of color. And obviously my dad came over to the country in the uh, early 60s. Um, so he would have experienced a lot of this stuff himself, right? Um, mm. But it was just, uh, it was you see where it comes from and you can see why they talk about in the, you know, when... when Stephen Lawrence's murder was investigated uh, institutional racism. You can just see where it came from, um, and mm. it wasn't just a few bad apples back then. It was just a real disdain for the impact on British culture, and mm. and that's hardwired in. And you see the same in you know in 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 the states and and all that sort of stuff as well. Um, so I really recommend you watch that if you get a
0: chance, actually. I'm to check it out, mate. Hundred percent. Uh, after the conversation that we've had today Hass we uh, because of the technical difficulties that we had at the beginning yeah, and because of the busy lives and busy schedules that we live uh, we're going to have to bring this to a close and actually we were a bit concerned I, I feel like we could talk about this for another 40 minutes to an hour mate uh, I think whenever we talk about race we always go pretty deep and we have the, the real conversations that's needed so I'm certainly uh, proud of our ability to do that as a podcast as we move through the episodes that we're doing but let's uh bring things back up uh slightly to the reasons to be cheerful uh do you, you want me to go first or do you no, have No, I one think you should go here? first because you threw me into it last time. Okay, so I've got a really good one actually. Um last week on the podcast we we did a Barack Obama uh Baracka Barack Obama uh uh quote which was uh the things that unite us are stronger than the things that divide us uh my reasons to be cheerful is to slightly alter that quote because we picked that apart a little bit and said that often some or sometimes at least that's not true but i do think that the there are more things that unite us than there are things that divide us there's more that doesn't mean they're necessarily always stronger or they always win through I did a, a, an Instagram live for Nicoa, the charity that I'm an ambassador for yesterday. And it was with a Tory MP. Uh, his name's George Freeman. Uh, he is, he's been a massive supporter of children of alcoholics and particularly of the work that Nicoa does for two or three years. And in the run up to it, I was a bit like, I've got to go on here and, you know, question a, a Tory MP. Uh, we, 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 we did an hour. I interviewed him for an hour live on Instagram and, I agreed with every single thing that he said. He allowed himself to get vulnerable um, and we connected and agreed on so much stuff. Um, and I said to him, I'd imagine at surface level in terms of when we get to actual policy stuff, real nitty gritty. I said, we're probably way apart. But when you bring it back to where we are at the bottom... Uh, we're so united on so many things and he told a story about when he went to this place a charity in one of the constituencies that he was whenever it was and it was they, they support people with addiction and this woman the head of the charity walked him into this room and it was full of people that were in recovery from addiction and she sat him down and she said this is george freeman he's a uh, he's an mp uh and he said hello and then the group went round and they all shared their stories he said that there was a 19-year-old heroin addict who was a mum who had a problem with heroin. There was a man who was in his 30s, had a terrible problem with alcohol. And he said he went around the room and after they'd all finished speaking, he said, I thought, how the hell am I going to now tell these that I'm a conservative MP, right? And uh, uh, how the hell do I sit in here and say that? And he said, so what I said was, uh, I introduced myself and I said, I'm George Freeman and I'm the child of an alcoholic. My dad left when I was a kid, became homeless, and my mum was a, was a was an alcoholic all my life, uh, and he said, and he connected with them way beyond anything to do with politics. He told some incredible stories about when he was in um, he was in Parliament once, and he said Ed Balls was talking, and he said, and I was doing what you do in Parliament and like cheering him all down and all that kind of stuff. And he said he was under a lot of pressure, Ed Balls, and he said, and I noticed that Ed, that he had a little bit of a stammer just a little bit. And he said, and I went up to him afterwards and I said, "Um, I noticed you, did I notice right, Ed, you've got a bit of a stammer. And Ed Balls said, yep, yep, you noticed. And he said, I I will never tear you down in there like that again. And Ed Balls apparently said, "Um, no, what happens in there, you know, is that you don't hold back in there, you don't treat me any differently. And then this George, who I interviewed, said, my uh, son's got a stammer. And Ed Balls said, um, Shared with him some ways that he had dealt with his own stammer, and he said, "Bring him in to Parliament." And he gave him forty-five minutes. This his son, two completely different parties, and uh, he gave him forty-five minutes and shared how he dealt with his stammer and how he'd still got to the level that he had in spite of his stammer. And it's just an incredible story. And he said, "You know, you'll never hear these kind of stories about cross-party stuff." And he said, "It happens all the time. Mm. It just doesn't make it to the media." Mm. So, so yeah, my reasons to be cheerful is that you know I sat with this Tory MP. And realised how 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 much we had that unites us. Wow,
1: I don't think I can top that. Really, I think anything <laughs> would anything less would be trivial. Um, so I think we should end on that note. I just think that's we're going to end on I think that, it's that note. Fantastic. I think mean, that's absolutely. Fantastic. It was incredible, yeah. genuinely.
0: And I'll chat to you more about it when we have time. Actually, probably yeah. because it was really big. It was so I was I had goosebumps through a lot of it. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah listen Hass I think this has been a really good conversation today uh, you know uh, short and snappy from what we're used to but uh, yeah. well actually it's not it's been about the same as it normally is just looking at when time we get, when we but get going it went going. very quickly yeah exactly it went very quickly Hass I will see you in two weeks look forward to it see you then thanks again for listening to 115 miles with Josh Connolly Hassan Khan.